Father, we just thank you uh, for your word. We're so grateful that, that you chose to reveal yourself to us through your holy word. And Lord, today as we come to a new book, uh, 2 Thessalonians, as always, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to guide this study, for your Holy Spirit to anoint this study, for you to anoint every heart and ear in this room, Lord, as we go through the entire book, that, that uh, we might learn the lessons that you would have us to learn, Lord, that, that uh, we'll take these lessons and apply them to our lives, Lord, that you'll seal them deep in our hearts and souls, and that we'll be changed by your word. Lord, we know there's power in your word to change us, and so uh, we ask for you to do just that as, as uh, we go through this study in Second Thessalonians. We ask for you to uh, bless our study today, Lord, and uh, just thank you for uh, all you're doing. Uh, uh, and Father, I also want to pray for all the fathers here today, and, and uh, just, uh, I just ask that you, you remind us of the responsibility we have, Lord, and what a privilege we have. What a privilege you've given us to raise up the children who will become your children. And Lord, we just, we just ask for, I ask for blessings on every father here to, to be able to do the task that you've called us to do. And I just thank you for, for your grace and, and uh, your mercy as we go through that process. We just thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, first of all, let me do say uh, happy Father's Day. To all the fathers, I wanted to get you guys carnations, but my wife said y'all wouldn't, you wouldn't want them, so I didn't get them. So, but I was going to get them for you, but uh, we didn't do that. Anyway, we're going to pick up in Second Thessalonians today. We're going to start a new book, and and I promise you, if the Lord doesn't come by the time we finish Second Thessalonians, we're going to go into the Book of Revelation. Everybody's been itching to go in the Book of Revelation, but uh, you'll see again, as I showed you in First Thessalonians you'll see that 2 Thessalonians and what it says about the Antichrist and the rapture and the end times is very important to our understanding of Revelation. So I wanted to go back and get this material before we went into Revelation. But we are going into the book of Revelation. Now, the way things are going on in the world right now, I'm not sure we're going to go through the book of Revelation. We might be out of here before, before that study begins. And, I, and I won't, I won't, I, I'll be glad we're out of here. So, and you will be too. The rest of the world won't. And that's why we... You know, we, we pray for God's grace on them, too. All right, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to get into Second Thessalonians, and right away Paul's going to be, begin to brag about this church that he started. And, and uh, uh, it's kind of a strange thing to hear a man of God brag. In fact, in the Bible, uh, the Lord says in Jeremiah, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. And let not a mighty man boast of his strength. And let not a rich man boast of his riches. You know, it almost sounds in the word of God like the Bible forbids boasting. Now, I know we got one Texan in here today, but don't tell Texans that you're not supposed to boast because they love to brag. You might have heard the story about the Texan who got really sick and uh, he went to the emergency room and and uh, he was in the emergency room. The doctors there said, look, you're not going to make it. I don't think you're going to make it. And, and so the specialist came, the disease specialist came, and he said, look, i got to tell you something. I don't know if you know how rich people are in Texas, but I'm one of the richest men in all of Texas. And if you can cure me of this disease that I've got, 
I will give you anything you ask for. Now, sure enough, the, the specialist found a disease for the, I mean, a cure for the disease. And as the Texan was checking out of the hospital, he said, look, he said to the doctor, he says, I'm a man of my word, and I'll give you anything you ask for. Well, the doctor knew how Texans like to brag, so he didn't want to push it too far. And so he said, I'll tell you what, I'll take a matching set of golf clubs. So the doctor waited for his golf club to come in, and it was about a year, and he still hadn't gotten his golf clubs. And so finally the Texan called, and he said, look, I've got, what I, I got the gift I promised to give you. He said, well, what took you so long? Why did it take you a year to get what I asked for? He said, well, he said, one of the golf clubs didn't have a swimming pool, so we had to build it. <laughs> now that doctor was right. Texans do like to brag. But that Texan could back up his bragging. And we like to brag, don't we? We like to boast about the things we do, the things we have, and who we are. And the Bible does frown upon boasting. But there is such a thing, and I'm going to give it a label here, there's such a thing as biblical bragging. And biblical bragging is okay. And let me tell you why it's okay. Actually, it's encouraged in the Word of God. And the reason it's encouraged is because it honors the Lord. When you brag in a way that you honor the Lord, that's a really good thing. Well, what is biblical bragging? When I say biblical bragging, what am I talking about? Well, let me tell you what it is. It's the opposite of false humility. I know a lot of Christians who have this thing called false humility. False humility is where one attributes to himself a sense of low self-esteem and really they just, they just got a really bad attitude. I mean, they, they, uh, in, they engage in this false humility and you hear them say, woe is me, woe is me. I'm just a, you know, a poor sinner saved by grace. Uh, I'm just this big nobody. I, my life is so tough and I'm trying to make it through life. And all you hear are these negative things coming from these people. And they're like Jacob. You remember Jacob when Jacob was reunited uh, with Joseph in Egypt? And, and he was introduced to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked him, how old are you, Jacob? And you remember what Jacob said? Let me, let me read to you. He says, the days and years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life. Man, that sounds like, that sounds like some low self-esteem, doesn't it? That really kind of sounds like a low view of God and what God had done in his life. Because the Jacob that I know in the Bible, he was the heir to the Abrahamic covenant. I mean, he was given all sorts of blessings. He lived in a relationship with God. I mean, he was the father of Israel. He had 12 sons. I mean, those sons were pretty bad. So, so uh, I can understand some of his, his uh, low self-esteem. But he had these 12 sons who would become the nation of Israel. And he was one of the wealthiest men on earth. And he says his years are few. He was 130 years old when he met Pharaoh, and he lived another 20 years after that. So he lived 150 years. 
What Jacob should have been doing, he should have been bragging about his life and what God had done in his life, all the blessings that God had given him, about his relationship with God, about the great future that God had in store for him. That's what he should have been doing. But a lot of us are, you know, a lot of us are just like Jacob. We see the glass half empty. How many of you see the glass? How many of you kind of those people? Don't raise your hand. You see the glass kind of half empty. We focus on all the evil things that are happening to us and none of the good things. And that's why it's healthy sometimes to engage in some biblical bragging, to look at what God has done uh, for you, to take inventory of what God has done for you. And, and, and if, no, if, if you don't do it to anybody else, do it to yourself. Brag about all the blessings you have. I love that song, Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. I mean, God has done so many great things for us, and, and we should have a, high, a very high self-esteem of ourselves, not a low self-esteem if we're truly born again. When you run around with a low self-esteem, you're dishonoring God. And when you are happy about all the things that God has done for you, that honors the Lord. Now, Paul's going to engage, if you go to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, we'll be looking at verse number 1. Paul's going to engage in some biblical bragging himself today. And he's going to brag about this church he started, about the co-workers that helped him start this church. And uh, uh, he's going to to boast on these people. But this isn't the first time that Paul's bragged. Paul bragged a lot. I don't know if you you followed the apostle Paul, but he, and 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 most of you have because you've been here as we've gone through the New Testament, but he brags an awful lot. I just go back, remember in 2 Thessalonians what he said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, you are witnesses and God is also a witness how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved when we were in your midst. I mean, we were devout, we were just, and we were blameless. I like the way he boasts in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. You know what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13? He says, I can do all things. Boy, that's a pretty braggadocious statement for a little uh, Jew, isn't it? I can do all things. But what makes that biblical bragging at the end of that statement, he says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. So, so that's what makes it biblical bragging. In Ephesians 3, he bragged about his occupation. He said, I'm, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. That's a pretty important position to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But he wasn't ashamed to brag about it. In, in, in uh, Ephesians 2, he bragged about how rich he was. He said, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm richer beyond your imagination is basically what he says. Where? In Christ. In Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he he. he Uh, touted the fact that the mysteries of God had been revealed to him, had been given to him. Now, you got to be a pretty important person if the mysteries of God have been given to you. I mean, he, uh, in in 1 Corinthians 4 and Philippians chapter 3, you know what Paul says? He says, imitate me. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. I wouldn't stand up in this pulpit and say, imitate me. I might say, No, I wouldn't even say that. I wouldn't say imitate me. But Paul was so confident in the Christian life that he was living, that he was living so devoutly, so justly, so righteously, that he could state 
hey, guys, I got this figured out. I'm doing it right. You imitate me. That's pretty bold talk. And, and really his bragging kind of reaches a crescendo over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he brags about his labor and his sufferings. Let me, let me read you that. You don't have to turn there. But let me read to you 2 Corinthians, a part of 2 Corinthians 11. Listen to what he says. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. Are they Hebrews? Hey, you better believe I'm a Hebrew. Are they Israelites? You better believe I'm the Israelite of Israelites. He says, are they the seed of Abraham? I'm the seed of Abraham. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more a minister of Christ than they are. In labors, I'm more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often in perils uh, of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in parables, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. I fasted more than anybody else. In cold and in nakedness. But now watch what he says here. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for the churches. You understand what Paul's saying? He says, top that. Top what I've done. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've labored more than anybody else. I've suffered more than anybody else. And in that last statement, it's as if he says, I care for the church more than anybody else. You can't top what I did is what Paul says. So Paul gave, and I could go through a lot more passages to show you where he boasted, but he engaged in a lot of biblical boasting. He engaged in biblical boasting so often that some people have labeled him a heretic. Some people won't read Paul's writings because they believe he was too proud, and and they believe that a man who was filled with the Spirit of God couldn't be as proud as Paul was. But... Paul wasn't a heretic. We all know that. And, and there are three things that make his boasting biblical boasting. Let me tell you what those three things are. And, and, and this is what makes your boasting biblical when you, or makes it okay when you boast. First of all, is the statement true? Is, did Paul ever say anything that wasn't true? That, I'm sure he did, but not in the word of God. Because the second thing what you say needs to be anointed by God. What, everything Paul said was anointed by God. These scriptures were anointed by God. And the third reason is the motive, Paul, Paul's motive was never to glorify himself. It was always to glorify the Lord. And that's what we're going to see here as we begin in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter number 1. First of all, let, let's just do a little bit of an introduction to the book. I don't do have, have to do much of an introduction here. Because we introduced 1 Thessalonians, and all 2 Thessalonians is, is a follow-up to 1 Thessalonians. I mean, the Thessalonians were under some heavy persecution. Paul had taught them, if you remember, that the Lord was coming really soon. That the judge was at the door. At any moment, the Lord could come for his church. Well, some of their members had died. Some of their friends and loved ones had died. And the Lord hadn't come. 
So they wanted to know, remember, they didn't have a New Testament. They, they, all they had was the Torah. So they didn't have the Bible like we had today. So they needed an explanation of where were those people who had died? What had happened to them? Show us what had happened to them. And so he wrote 1 Thessalonians and he said, well, if they died before the rapture, then, then uh, they will be with the Lord. Together we will live with the Lord. That was his conclusion of all of that. Well, they had another eschatological question. They were in very, very difficult times. Some of the most difficult times in history for the church of God. You go back and look at the persecution that they were going through under these Roman emperors, and they very well could have thought, and some of them did think, that they had entered into the great tribulation. And so what Paul is going to do in 2 Thessalonians, he's going to answer their questions about the timing of the great tribulation and show them that they have not yet entered the tribulation. Even though times are really bad, guys, you haven't entered the tribulation. And, and I don't know if they had the book of Revelation at that point. I don't think so, because I think John wrote that late in his life. But if they had had the book of Revelation, they could have read that and seen that things get a lot worse in the great tribulation than at any other time in history on this earth. And we're going to see that when we go through that book later on. But uh, So he writes them to explain that, that, hey, you have not entered. You're in tough times. And I'm going to, he's going to brag about the fact they're in those tough times and they're enduring those tough times. But they had not entered the great tribulation. And so Paul writes them to give them some eschatological clarity, some clarity about the end times. But that's not the only reason he writes them. He, he gives them some exhortations to go on. He also gives them some instruction on how they're to live before the Lord comes. And then he also brags about this church. I mean, you, you, you compare this book to 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You compare 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to 1st and 2nd Corinthians to the book of Galatians. The whole attitude that Paul had about this church is entirely different. He, was, he, he loved this church at Thessalonica. He'd only been there for a few weeks, for three weeks. And that was it. And he had started this church and he had sent Timothy and Silas back and he, they were, he was hearing all of these great things about this church and how they were thriving in the midst of all this tribulation. So let's pick up in chapter number one and go with me to verse number one. Now listen to what Paul says and it's not going to take him long to to start bragging. He, right away, he's going to, he, in, in his introduction, he's basically saying that, hey, Paul, Sylvanius, or Silas, and Timothy, and I started this church, and we're writing to you. Paul doesn't take credit, uh, all the credit for starting the church. He gives a lot of credit to, to Silas and Timothy for, start, uh, for establishing the church and nurturing the church, and then he writes to them. It says, Paul, Silas, or Sylvanius, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. And listen to what he says. You can underline that word. That is the most important preposition you've ever heard. Right there. For believers, it's everything. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in, in, you got that? In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. That's everything. That's it right there. That's all of Christianity in a nutshell. Are you in God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's going to brag about this church. And Paul and Silas, Silas and Timothy risked their life to, to start this church and to nurture this church. But they, all they could do was tell them about the gospel. They could tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. They could show them the way of salvation. But nobody could put them in Jesus Christ and God the Father but Jesus Christ himself. Look, I can get up here and I can preach till I'm blue in the face. And if you're here today and you're not saved, I can't put you in Christ. I can show you the way to Christ. But only Christ can put you in Christ. And, and how do you get in Christ? Well, the Bible's clear. Having believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You simply believe. Now, that doesn't mean that you believe the facts about Jesus Christ. You do have to believe the facts. But you've got to believe more than that. The word believe in that, that Greek word used for believe throughout Scripture means to put your trust in, to put all your faith in. For you to be in Christ, Christ's got to put you there. But he's not going to put you there until you make the decision that you're going to totally put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the good news. Once you're in Christ, once you make that decision to receive Christ, into your heart. Christ puts you in himself and in God the Father. Once you make that decision to receive Christ and you believe and you're sealed with the Spirit, guess what? You're there forever. You don't get in the hands of Christ and ever get out of his hands. You're there forever. You've been given eternal salvation at the point you're in Christ. And that's why Paul could brag about this church. He immediately says about this church, he says, he says to the church at Thess of the Thessalonians who are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do I know if I'm in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me tell you what you know. You know. And one of the ways we're going to see that you know is because you endure. Because once you're in Christ, you never can get out of his hands. Once you're in the hands of Christ, you're there forever. And if you can get out of his hand, I got news, you never were in his hand. How big are his hands? You ever read the Psalms about the hands of God? How big are his hands? They cover the entire universe. They cover his entire creation. So if you're in his hand, you're not leaving his hand. Now you can actually be in the universe and not be in his hands. But if you're in the hand of God, you're there forever. Let me show you what I'm talking about there. Go back with me to John. Go back with me to John chapter 10. I love this passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I could go back to the first verse here where Jesus, or the first part of the verse where Jesus says, I am the true shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I mean, what a, what a great thing to know that Christ is our shepherd. And, and look at what he says. I'm going to pick up all the way over John chapter 10, all the way over to verse 27. Listen to what he says. My sheep. Who is sheep? Those who believe. Those who believe. My sheep. My sheep hear my voice. He's called and we've heard. Why have we heard? Because we're his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Now I got news for you. Here's some really good news. How long has he known you? Has he known you since you were born? Has he known you since you 
got baptized? Has he known you uh, for the last 10 years? No, he has known you forever. He knew you before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that we were chosen in him, in him, to be in his hands before the, the worlds were even formed. Before he even created the universe, he chose you to be in him. Now, the reason he chose you, because he knew you would choose him. But he made you to choose him. He didn't force you to choose him. He made Adam and Eve to choose him. He's made the whole world to choose him. But he knows those who are going to choose him. And the ones who choose him are his sheep. And when the call came, I don't know how you got called, but I remember my calling very specifically. I mean, I've been around, I've been in a church all my life, but, but when that real call came, I heard his voice. I heard his voice. I didn't hear his voice audibly, but I heard his voice in my heart. I heard his voice, George, it's time to come home. It's time to get in my hands, get out of the world and come into my hands. And I heard his voice and he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. I've always known them. You know, the scariest words in the Bible to me is when Jesus is speaking of those in the end times at the judgment, of those who are kind of braggadocious about what they've done for Christ. And they talk about, we prophesied, we went to church, we gave, we did all of these wonderful things in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, for I never, you workers of unrighteousness, because I never knew you. I mean, the question you want to ask yourself today, if you're here, does Christ know you? Oh, he knows everybody. But does he know you? That word know there means to know in a relationship. Does he know you in a real relationship? Look, you can know all the facts in the world about Jesus Christ. The demons know the facts about Jesus Christ. You can know all about him. But does he know you? Do you know him? Has he called you? He's called, the call, many are called, but few are chosen. He's called the whole world. But you hear, have you heard his voice? And have you followed him? See, that's what happens. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Watch this now. Watch the pronouns here. And I give them eternal life. You don't earn eternal life. You don't get eternal life through uh, the Muslim faith. You don't get eternal life through Buddhism. You don't get eternal life through Hinduism. You don't get eternal life through humanism. You don't get eternal life through your good works. I give them eternal life. Only Jesus Christ can give you eternal life. He's the only one who can give you eternal life. And how long do you have it if it's eternal life? You've got it for eternity. If he's given you, if you're his sheep and he knows you and you've heard his voice and you've followed him, then you have eternal life. That is, that's some good news. You have it. It will never be taken away from you. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Jesus said, those who believe on me shall never die. They pass from death to life. They shall never perish. Neither shall, watch this, whose hand are you in? Neither shall anyone, not even themselves, shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
If God's known you from eternity past and he's put you into his hand, nothing's going to get you out of his hand. You're his child. You're his child forever. My father who has given me, them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Well, which one is it, Jesus? I mean, is it the father or is it you? Whose hand are we in? Well, he answers that in verse number 30. I and the father are one. If you're in my hand, you're in the Father's hand. If you're in the Father's hand, you're in my hand. If you're, that's why Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians, if you're in Christ, you're in God the Father. You're in the hand of Christ, you're in the hand of God the Father. And Christ is in you and you are in him. The Father is in you and you are in the Father. That's, that's the beauty of salvation. And that's why, going back to 2 Thessalonians, listen to what he says in verse number 2. Grace. Grace. You didn't earn this. Grace to you. You answered the calls all you did. You believed is all you did. That's the work of God that you believe. You want to do the works of God, then you believe. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How did the Thessalonians get into, into, in, into the Father and into Christ? By grace. Jesus called them and they answered and they believed. And how, are they, how were they kept in the hand of Jesus Christ? By their good works? No, by grace. You're saved by grace and you're kept by grace. Once you're in the hand of the Father, you're kept by the Father. You can't do the keeping yourself. Look, I, I, I lost my salvation on the golf course the other day with my son. I was hitting, I was shank upon him as everything. It was terrible sight to see. He'll tell you it was, it was, it was horrible. And he's hitting about 300 yards straight down the fairway, making me look more like an idiot. And I actually lost my salvation out there. If it was up to me, I threw my golf club across the fairway and I said a few choice words. None of y'all were out there. I'm glad you didn't see that. You'd, you'd go to another church today. I'm surprised Eli's here. <laughs> I don't keep my salvation. If it was up to me, I, the devil, let me tell you something. Any of these people tell you they keep their salvation? First of all, they, they're saying they're, they, they must have earned it because they got to keep it now. If you got to keep your salvation... I challenge you to just say, Lord, I bring anything you want at me, and I promise you I won't turn my back on you. You know what you're doing? You're doing just like Peter did. Lord, I'll never turn my back on you. Let me tell you, if the heat gets on hot enough, you'd turn your back on the Lord in a heartbeat. Everybody in here would at some point, the hot enough heat. Look, what about these people that endure? What about these people that, what about these people that you see die at the, you know, burned at the stake? What about those people? That's because God is keeping them. It's God who keeps them. If God would keep a martyr through the fire and bring him to heaven, he'll keep you through the fires of your trials too. And if you think you're keeping yourself, then it's almost like you're saying, I saved myself. It's God who keeps us. But man, that's why I can brag. I can do some biblical bragging because if I'm in Christ, I'm in the Father, 
And I've got all sorts of things to brag about. I have eternal life. God knows me. He's known me from the foundation of the world. I'm a child of God. I'm being kept forever ever by the Father. I mean, I've got all sorts of things to, 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 to brag about. But who gets all the glory? God gets all the glory. Now, Paul, watch Paul brag about the Thessalonians. I mean, here was a church. I've got to tell you, they were going through some tough times. Go back and read your history books about the, that, that first century and Nero and some of those emperors and some of the things they did to Christians. And you can see they were going through some really terrible times. And listen to what he says. He says, we're bound to thank God for you always, brother, as is fitting. Because here's the way we see your situation. Your faith grows exceedingly more than any other church I know of. Your faith is growing. And the love of every one of you abounds toward each other, toward one another. I mean, listen to, listen to what Paul says. I mean, listen to the bragging here, he, he does, boasting he does about this church. He says, I'm always thankful for you. You don't give me anything to be unthankful for you about. I'm always thankful for you. Now, I don't think he ever would have said that about the Galatians or the Corinthians, but he says that about the Thessalonians. And because they weren't a weak, carnal church, legalistic church. They were thriving by the Spirit of God. And their faith was growing exceedingly. And, their lo- and it, look, when your faith grows, your love begins to grow. Your love for God and your love for one another. What was causing them to grow? What was causing their love to grow? What was causing their faith to grow and their love to grow were the trials that they were going through. You know, if you suffer through a trial, and everybody in here has suffered through a trial, and I got news for you, you got more coming. But when you suffer through a trial, you know what happens? No matter what, no matter how you act during that trial, no matter what happens in that trial, when that trial is over, do you know what happens? Your faith grows. Because I promise you, if you're a child of God, God's going to get you through that trial. And you're going to be able to look back on that trial, whether you went through it kicking and screaming or whether you went through it like the Thessalonians praising God. Regardless of how you went through it, you're going to be able to look back on that trial and say, God got me through that trial. And when you see God get you through trials, your faith grows. That's why James says, count it all joy. I remember the first verse, set of verses I memorized after I got saved was that set of verses. I don't know why I did that. It's almost like I brought trials upon myself when I did that. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, perseverance. How does that produce an attitude of long-suffering and perseverance? Because your faith grows. Every time you go through a trial and God gets you through that trial, your faith grows. And then when, you're, when, you, when you suffer together, when you suffer, nothing like suffering brings people together in love. When you go through trials with other people, it causes you to love those other people even more. You know, if you look at your bulletins, you heard the announcements today in July, we're going to have a fellowship and we're going to, Eat boiled shrimp and potatoes and corn. We're going to suffer for Jesus. No, we're not going to be suffering. Some of us might eat too much and suffer. 
But I've had people tell me we need more fellowships because fellowships makes us love one another more. Look, I can go to a restaurant and eat shrimp and boiled potatoes and corn all day long, and it's not going to make me love anybody more. That's not going to do that. There is something to be said about breaking bread together. There's, you know, I enjoy going out to eat with people in the church. We go out every Sunday, you know, somewhere, and everybody's invited. It's not a click that goes. Anybody who wants to go can go. But, but I enjoy that. There is some bonding, but it's not the food. What is it? It's the conversation. It's just being there together. But I got to tell you this. There is nothing that binds believers together in love like suffering, like suffering. You know, my wife's not here so I can brag on my relationship with my wife. I have, I have to because y'all would go tell her if I didn't. But the reason we have such a great relationship is because we've been through, isn't because we ate, we've eaten a lot of meals together. It's because we have suffered some things together. I mean, I was, went through the most difficult time of my life right after I got saved. We were about divorced right before I got saved. And then I got saved, and she got saved. And, 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 and things weren't easy at that point. They got very, very difficult for us. And for about 15 years, we went through some very tough times. And we grew together in those times. We bonded together through those sufferings. We love each other more than we would have if we hadn't gone through those sufferings. But let me tell you what I see happen to some people. You can only, that can only happen if you're sharing your sufferings with one another, if you're talking to one another, if you're helping one another. But I see even ministers, I see people, men, especially men, you fathers, I see, I see men who are so proud they don't want to share their troubles with their wives. And you know what that does? In every single case I've seen that, that drives a marriage apart. Because you come in there angry at your wife, you come in there treating your wife bad, and you won't talk to your wife about what's going on, and you're driving a wedge into your marriage. You're in this thing together. You, what, what you're going through, you're going through together. You want to go through it together. And, that, that, but, and i got to tell you, there's something sweet about that. Once you get through that trial together by the power of God, then you're closer than you've ever been before. So this suffering, and I don't ever pray for anybody to suffer, but this suffering sometimes is a really good thing. Look at what he says in verse number four. He says, he boasts some more. So we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. We tell him, hey, you imitate, Paul says, imitate me, but I want your church to be like the church at Thessalonica. That's a great church. And let me tell you why they're a great church, because, they're, because of their patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. I mean, these guys were suffering. They had more than their share of suffering and trials. And they were enduring that suffering with, watch this, with patience, with patience, with long suffering. Look, every, there's people on this earth, a lot of people endure trials. But the Thessalonians were enduring these trials and they were staying strong in their faith. Their faith was growing exceedingly and their love for one another was growing exceedingly. How could that happen? How could that have happened? Because they were stronger than the other churches? No, because they had a closer relationship to the Lord because it's the Lord who gives, them, gives us the power to endure trials. You know, somebody sent me an article last week about the persecutions that are going on in China. How this one particular church, they came in and they, 
and they had a bulldozer and they mowed down the church and dragged the Christians away and put them in jail. I feel for those Christians. And, and I don't know them individually, so I don't know if they're enduring that with joy or if they're, they're all, they all ran away. They're never going to have anything with Christ, to do with Christ again. But if they're enduring that with joy, they're not enduring that with joy because they're stronger than you and I. They're enduring that with joy because they're close to the Lord. And if you get close to the Lord in your trials, you're going to endure those trials with joy too. You're going to see a purpose in that trial. You're going to believe that the sovereign hand of God has allowed you to go through that trial. And he's going to get you through that trial and you're going to be a better person when that trial's over. It's God who does that. And, and, and Paul was bragging on these people, but really it was God who gets the honor. Christ gets the honor. And so their faith was growing and their love was growing and they were becoming better people. Now, look at, look at uh, verse number five, which is manifest evidence. I want you to see this. Their endurance is what he's talking about, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom for which you suffer. Look, all of us are going to suffer if we're in Christ Jesus. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, not might, but will suffer persecution. And these Thessalonians were no exception. But listen to what he says right there. He says their suffering, coupled with their endurance, was evidence of the fact that they were worthy of the kingdom of God. See, God was testing them through that fire to see if their faith was real. If they endured the fire, their faith was real. If they didn't endure the fire, their faith wasn't real. Listen real carefully to what I'm about to say. Saints don't get saved by persevering trials. You don't get saved, and some people teach that. Somehow if you can endure the trials of life, you'll be saved. If you can keep yourself you'll be saved. Saints don't get saved by persevering trials. We persevere, persevere trials because we are saved. See, that's why we persevere, persevere trials. And our perseverance is evidence of the fact that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. A perse the perseverance doesn't save us. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us righteous and worthy for the kingdom of God. But the fact that we endure the trial shows that we have been saved by the blood of Christ. We have been given the spirit of Christ. And the more we suffer, the more our faith grows. Because every time you go through a trial and you're still there, whether you fail in the trial or whether you win in the trial, you're still there. You're in the hand of the Lord. I don't know how many times in my Christian walk I've said I'm walking away from this stuff. And I've gotten so mad at the Lord and, I've, and, and, and things have become so difficult, I just wanted to walk away. He won't let me walk away. Thank goodness he won't let me walk away. And I don't want to walk away. All he has to do when I get that attitude, I'm walking away, remove his spirit, remove his head of protection for about 30 seconds, 30 minutes or a day. If he, if he really wants to teach me the lesson, maybe a week. And I'm on my face, God, please take me back. He never, never let me go. You're always in the hand of God. And so the more 
we, trials we go through and we're still in the hand of God. I've been doing this now for 27 years. And if I'd gotten what I deserved a long time ago, he would have let me lose my salvation. But he won't let me lose my salvation because he has given me eternal life. He give, J, Jesus gave me eternal life. And I'm in his hand. And the more, I'm, the more I persevere, the more my faith grows and the more my love for him grows. And my love for you, for our love for one another grows. What about those people who quit and, walk, and do walk away? I've known people who quit and walked away from the faith. Right in the middle of the trials. I've got a relative who, who, who something really bad happened to his brother and, and he walked away from the Christian faith and doesn't want to have anything to do with it again. Never. He said, I will never have anything to do with the Christian faith. I don't want to serve a God who would do that to allow that to happen to my brother. Some ways I can understand his anger. But he didn't lose his salvation. I can tell you that right now. He never had it. The lack of perseverance is only evidence that you never have been born again. Because I promise you, if you've been born again, whatever you're going through, you might kick and scream. You might be a big screaming baby the whole way. But you're going to get through that trial. You're going to make it through that trial because you're a child of God. That's what the author of Hebrews says about you and I. He says, we are not of those who draw back to perdition. We're not of those who draw back to perdition. Not because we're stronger than other people but because we are those who believe, he says. We're those who believe. We've really put our faith in Jesus Christ. And because we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not of those who draw back to perdition. They went out from us because they didn't know us. We, we're of those who believe, who have faith that saves the soul. We, we have really put our faith in Christ. And i got to tell you, when you really know you're saved, you've got bragging rights. You've got a lot of bragging rights. The same God that was in Timothy and Silas and Paul, he's in you. He's in you. You're a son or daughter of God. Pretty important position. That's more important than being president of the United States. A son and daughter of God. Joint heirs in the riches of this universe with Jesus Christ. It, it belongs to you. I remember uh, Vance Hefner talking about driving through these fancy subdivisions saying, you know, uh, y'all enjoy it now. But you're living on a lease. That's mine to come. <laughs> and glory, that's mine. We're joint heirs with everything because Christ owns everything. We're joint heirs with him. You can, you can brag about that. You're richer than that Texan. You can brag just like a Texan brags. We, we have an anointing. Little children, you have an anointing. And you know all things. The mysteries of God that were revealed to Paul have been revealed to you. Man, that's pretty good stuff. 
The reason you can understand this Bible, the reason you love this word, the reason this word makes sense to you is because, the, and it doesn't to the rest of the world, is because they, it hasn't been revealed to them, but it has been revealed to you. The mysteries of God have been revealed to you. Pretty good deal. We have the power of God to do all things. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. I could go on and on and on. But most of us don't brag like that. You know most Christians who they remind me of? You remember the guy, the little donkey Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh? Most Christians are like Eeyore. Y'all remember Eeyore? He walks around, he's a little stuffed donkey, he walks around with a cloud above his head. His sun can be shining brightly everywhere else, and he's got cloud and rain coming down on him. Woe is me. He's pessimistic, he's gloomy, he's depressed all the time. There's a lot of Christians like that. All they do is complain. They never brag. They never count their blessings. They're just always complaining about their situation. Well, let me tell you what. You live in a fallen world. You live in a tough situation. It is not going to change until glory. So quit complaining about it and start looking for the good things and brag about what God's done in your life. And I got to tell you, the reason we don't witness to people, we can't lead people to Christ because they look at us and say, man, I don't want that stuff. Those people look like they're sucking lemons all the time. I mean, we should be bragging about what God's done in our life. We should be bragging about the cross and the blood and what Jesus has done for us and what he'll do for you. See, that's why it's a good thing to engage sometimes in biblical bragging. Look, you dads, you dads, you, you set the tone in your house. You, you husbands, you set the tone in your house. You have a negative gloomy, depressed tone with a cloud over your head all the time, that's going to be the nature of your house. That's going to be, you, got a, you want a nasty wife? Just keep acting like that. Some of you got nasty wives because you act like that. I'm not going to name any names, but I, really, I don't know if anybody here has a nasty wife. I'd never say that. Look, we have to take the attitude of Micah. I love what Micah had to say in chapter 3 of Micah, and we were looking at this a couple of weeks ago. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. I am full of the power. Not my power, but the power of the Spirit of the Lord. And I am full of justice and righteousness and might. That's what every one, single one of us need to say about ourselves. All of us. That's biblical bragging. And it's stating the truth about what Jesus has done for us. He's given us his power. He's given us his righteousness. He's given us his might. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for all the great things you have given us. All the wonderful blessings that, that we have that have been given to us and they're ours forever. Eternal life, Lord, that can't be taken away. Your Holy Spirit... You will never leave us or forsake us. Our inheritance in heaven is there forever, Lord. You've gone to prepare a place for us. We know that. 
Lord, we have so much, so many reasons to have peace, Lord, to have joy. It's through your, it's through your blessings and through your grace that we have that peace. It's through having a proper relationship with you. When we truly believe that we're in your hand and nothing can snatch us out of your hand, then we have peace with God and we have the peace of God. Lord, I just thank you for that peace. I thank you for all the many things you've given us, Lord, to to take inventory of and to be blessed by. And we just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his blood on the cross. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.